Hello, or should I say Moyen, and welcome to the latest Alfie the Next Gen Finance Podcast. My name is Duncan Roberts. Why do we call this the Next Gen Podcast? Well, because we invite two professionals of different ages, if we may say so, from the financial services sector. One with vast experience, and another who is at what we may call the early stages of their career. Today, it is a privilege to be joined for the very first time in this series so far by two Luxembourgers, both from local law firm Elvinger Hoss. On my right is Gas Juncker, a partner at the firm with 25 years experience in the establishment of investment funds and management companies. Welcome, Gast. Thanks. And opposite, we have Jill Lanners, a senior associate who has been with the firm since 2014. Welcome, Jill. Good morning. Later in the show, we'll be diving into the, how the legal landscape with regards to the fund industry has changed and what we can expect coming down the pipeline. But first, let me ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners. Jill, maybe you can say how you started your career. You studied in France, but also in New York. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah. So I started studying in the south of France and then went back one year to Paris and decided after my master two in Paris that I wanted to do one year, one additional year. I went to New York to do an LLM at NYU and I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that was actually quite a good phase to, to prepare for what was coming afterwards. So, uh, not necessarily in terms of legal knowledge because the systems are quite different, but I was in a class with, I think, 300 people from all around the world. So from Mexico, from Brazil, from China, from all corners of Europe, which have very different ways of approaching things, approaching the law, but also approaching life in general. And I think that taught me to evolve in an environment with different ways of doing things, different characters. And working in a large law firm now, that's a bit what's on the day-to-day happening. So we have different uh, partners, different uh, associates with different backgrounds, different ways of doing things, different clients from all over the world, which want to receive different type of service and different type of answers. So I didn't realize it, but that was actually quite a good um, step towards the next step, which was then doing the bar exam in Luxembourg and joining Alvinger Haas in 2014, where I've been ever since. Okay, thank you. Now, Gast, you've been a member of the Luxembourg Bar since 1993, I think. Um, but how has your career developed since then? Yes, that brings me closer to the 30 years than to 25, I, I realized. But yeah, I think how it worked at the time is that I started in 93. And uh, at the beginning, I did all types of legal work. So during two years before you finalize finally your exam, you, you basically do a bit of everything. And then at the time, I think the fund industry was strongly developing in Luxembourg and there was a need to have new hands handing, helping out on, on the creation and, uh, of funds. And I said, I'm going to try that. So that's, that's 95, 96, where I started to do uh, only fund and management company work. And at that time, which is maybe interesting for the audience, so the lawyers basically were doing all types of funds because there was a very limited legislation and, and we were doing all types of funds from usage to more alternatives. They were not called like this at the time. Part two funds and also related work with, with depositories. So there was not such a specialization as is uh, today. So that is, I think, a big, a big change which has come on over the years. And, um, also, as Gilles said, I think I was showing also that I went to London after my studies in Paris. I wanted to have some international exposure and, and happily that, that, that came along also partially due to Alfie because when they started doing their international roadshows, I had the privilege to participate there and to be 
able to go out and 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 basically do some fund work, do legal work, but also see uh, see the clients in in, in their locations. And uh, this continued quite well. Uh, in 2000, I became partner, and uh, now in, since 2019, I've been on the on the Alfie board. So that's basically a summary of my career. So you've seen, as you say, you've seen a lot of change in the investment uh, industry landscape in Luxembourg over those 30 years now. Um, what specifically have been the biggest changes? Do you think? Let's maybe that. Let's some are very, I would say, subjective from my point of view, and maybe some others are more objective, which you can measure. I think the subjective ones, where I see most, is when we when I started. I think it was still uh, quite local. Of course, some large players, uh, which we all know, were already here in the fund industry. But um, what was um, interesting, particularly from the lawyer side, and uh, as uh, Gilles mentioned, it's, there was much less diversity. I think it was very Luxembourgish, very Belgian, very French. And, and there was, of course, people from the UK, but that, I think, was a bit the international part. And that has, I think, massively developed over the last 30 years here in Luxembourg in the, in the fund industry. So that, that means I call them the brains. So I think, uh, of course, we, we can do some stuff, but we need outside help. There was out, a lot of outside help to create the fund center as it looks today in the last 30 years. So there was, of course, a lot of good work from some politicians <laughs> to create the environment, uh, some locals which worked um, uh, towards that end, but also a lot of inflow from people which basically gave us the knowledge we needed to develop the center. And the second point maybe, which is, uh, I think, extremely uh, different from when I started, is the technology and the speed. I think the speed with which things move. When I started, of course, these are a bit uh, more, maybe more funny, funny anecdotes when we received the faxes. So the faxes were the, 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 the fastest way to communicate at the time. And in the morning when we were coming in, we had from Asia, uh, no, you don't see me, but large, large, a few handfuls of, 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 of stacks of faxes to be, to be looked at. Um, and that, of course, gave us time to review and we had time to, to talk to people. We, we, there were no phone calls necessarily because there was no email. And now I think the speed and the um, requests from the clients are very different. They want answers much more quickly. Uh, so, so on our side, much I, I would say less reflection and less thought about the answers, but more quick and short answers are requested. That's a big, big change in the legal work. And then maybe one last thing over the time, as I said, so on the workforce, of course, there was an inflow of people, but also on the client side, we saw over the years um, in 93, 95, not all the players which we see now have been had been present in Luxembourg. So we had either they were coming on their own or, or we had to bring them here. And that brings me back again to the different uh, travels I, I was allowed to do. Uh, we also could uh, capture some clients and then convince them, at least partially also on our side, to come to Luxembourg to set up their fund structure. So that was very rewarding as, an, as a work because it had, as I said, the legal side, but also the more practical human contact side, which was uh, very interesting. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, Gilles, what has happened in the past nine years for you? I mean, there has been that technology change as well. How has your work uh, been affected? I'm not sure. I think it has mostly been affected by COVID, uh, I guess. Uh, I remember before COVID, we still had the little um, tapes where you would dictate uh, your email and the secretary would write that down and then send it to, to the client. And obviously during COVID, all of that thing or, or, or manual corrections on paper was very difficult to do while we were all being, um, 
being being at home. So I think that has massively changed the way of working, uh, also working from home, which was not something what was really in the mindset of the of the law firms uh, before COVID, and now it has massively developed, and it has a quite a lot of advantages. So I, I would say, not too much changes during the first six seven years, but really changes generated by by COVID in 2020, 2021, uh, and the, the digitalization of, of what we are doing. Okay. Thank you. Now, Gas, do you recall what sort of laws or regulations were most commonly talked about in the early years of your career? And is there any specific law that really that helped, was a catalyst to Luxembourg becoming one of the most important fund centers in the world? Yeah, maybe I just recall for those which don't, don't know the ancient history of the fund center. The, the first UCITS directive, of course, UCITS was the starting point. And at the time, everything was evolving around that legislation. So there was not much else uh, except some uh, Luxembourg developments, what we call part two funds. So adding something to UCITS to permit to do something different, which was not done uh, everywhere in Europe. Um, just to remind you uh, that um, at the time the first directive came out in 85 and Luxembourg in 88, three years later, was the first country to adopt that legislation. So nobody had really seen um, the, the, the big potential of that legislation at the time. So that was before I started. But when, when I started, this was in full swing, basically, number of promoters coming to Luxembourg to make use of that um, I would, uh, how do you call this, first mover advantage at the time uh, to create funds. And of course, I think the UCITS law has different iterations over time, particularly also, I think UCITS 3 was extremely important by extending uh, the, the eligible asset scope of UCITS, creating much more interest from different types of managers, again, for the product and again, bringing them to Luxembourg. Um, at the same time, uh, as a corollary, the creation and the development of management companies, so more risk meant for the regulators and the legislators, more uh, control, so, so massive increase in work on management companies and related activities, so risk management and, 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 and the like. Um, I think the next big change in the, in the fund world was, was AFMD, that was 2014, because previously, as I said, uh, all the funds could still could already be created under different legislations, but there was no set framework, and uh, uh, the, the password was not existing in the way as we had it, have it now for alternative funds. So, so that was, I think, the other catalyst, as you said, to create a new dynamic in the Luxembourg Fund Center by by creating much more interest on the alternative side. What is also, I think, important is something which is constantly ongoing, and that's something also which where lawyers in Luxembourg, I think, have some some merit, uh, I mean, updating the fund and the company law over time to make it fit and proper to do things uh, which, which the promoters and initiators want to do. Of course, very often cooperation uh, with, the, with the regulator to make sure that what, what the industry wants is going to be accepted by the regulator before it basically becomes mm -hmm. law. Uh, so there's a lot of preparatory work going on there. So that is, I think, an important feature of, of what, what we have been doing trying constantly to increase the efficiency of what is possible in Luxembourg. I think it's fair to say, uh, and maybe we can come back to that later, uh, it's getting a bit more difficult nowadays, of course, where you have a lot of European legislation basically putting a framework around what is happening in Luxembourg, while in 1995 or 2000, there was much less European legislation and much more creativity was possible by using existing Luxembourg tools, basically. Yeah. 
Okay, I think we'll, we're going to come to the creativity aspect later. Um, but for now, Jill, when, when you meet with your peers, um, what we like to call the next geners, what are the most common professional topics that you talk about? I think the most common topic really is, to put it simple, how to remain sane in a world where everything always has to be faster. So uh, I think it's really work-life work balance and how to achieve that while still um, serving the clients uh, for them to be satisfied. So um, so that's a big topic. And a related one um, is uh, motherhood or, or parenthood, because it's also a subject for, for my male colleagues. So uh, how to combine uh, taking care of a child uh, and working in the finance industry. And the third one is very different. Uh, and it goes more to the future. I think it's really about how can we make sure that what we are doing today will not be not needed anymore in 10 or 20 years because of machines or, or digitalization. So that's the subject also. How can we adapt to make sure we still have something to provide which a machine cannot yeah, I think this human human value is yeah. is essential still. Thankfully, now as we said to the to the layperson, legal practices may often seem to be rather traditional, but also we often think of next geners like yourself as wanting to be creative. Um, are the two compatible? Do you think? I, I think they are. Yes, um, it depends on how you approach it. So if you're talking about the pure legal solution. Of course, you try to be innovative, you try to propose new solutions, but you will always be bound by the rules at Luxembourg level or at European level. So you have room for creativity, but you remain within that frame. And I think where we can be creative is on, on how we do the work. And there we come back again to technology, digitalization, trying to streamline processes, uh, to use technology, to use artificial intelligence to help us do our research. I'm not saying to replace us, but to help us uh, to be more efficient, to be faster, and also to alleviate the workload on people who are doing repetitive tasks, which can be taken over and replaced by more interesting tasks. And I think really it's in that domain where where we can be creative. Yeah. I guess, what, what's your take? Do, do legal practices have to be much more flexible and agile than before? Yeah, the answer is certainly yes. There's, there's no way around this, as, as Jill has explained. I think there are, I think, three main elements which are pushing this. I think, first of all, as she said, technology and, and, and the possibility to use um other means that we used at the time going to going to, going to the the library and 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 uh, <laughs> searching for legal precedents now this is doing being that is all digitalized and now it's going further of course not only having everything digitized but having uh, artificial intelligence doing that work for you and 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 of course those works that work which was done previously by by junior lawyers was also extremely f formative for them so they they were learning a lot by doing that work so if now the machines are doing the work what are they learning so that's that's one of the point technology has to be harnessed to some extent and used to, to make make it make it efficient and then um second one is of course the ever changing legal environment i mentioned already previously there were a few little pieces of legislation which we could kind of try to use to, to create uh, structures uh, with the approval of the regulator at the time, but it had all to be legally working, etc., and justified and justified with memos. But now we have regulation everywhere. So, so you have to adapt to that and that's ever changing. You, you think you remember that three months ago, 
the position was like this, but you missed the ESMA Q&A of the day before yesterday, where they say the opposite of what you said two months ago. So it's a bit of a joke, but a bit of a reality too. And the third element uh, with pushing you to be agile, I think, is also increasing competition, because I think that goes together with what is happening in the fund environment, the fund industry generally. On the law firm side, it's the same. I think when this all started, there were a few firms, uh, which were, and they are still basically, dom I think they're still dominating. But there has been a number of new firms, which of course provide also services, which some clients appreciate. So we have to be careful or to remain agile also vis-a-vis -vis the competition. So that it's a whole environment in which I think you cannot be placid and wait for, for the client to come. You have to actively look for the client and, and, and provide services even more so than before. So and it's all pushed a bit by technology because the speed just increases everything. And that, that's, I think, the main points I wanted to mention. Yeah. Now, you mentioned regulations. I mean, they're always coming down the pipeline. For example, we just had LFIF 2.0, and then Mika is going to come in to full effect at the end of next year. But if you had a magic wand, we're giving you a, granting you a wish now. If you had a magic wand, what would be your wish in terms of legal developments for the fund industry here in Luxembourg? Maybe, Gast, you could take this one first. Yeah, I have one wish and maybe and one complaint. <laughs> the wish is that um, innovation should still be possible. Because as I said, um, I think innovation has been permitting the development of new structures, has been basically helping also the, the client of the fund industry to, to have new products. And um, for the moment, we are quite well placed with the CSF. When I look, for example, at the discussions on tokenization, etc., they are very open. So they, they, they say they are technology neutral. They try to help. So this is the right approach. I think we should, at, at all costs, try to keep the approach of being able to in, innovate because others will otherwise uh, take that lead and, and innovate more than we, we are allowed to innovate. So, so the EU rules are important, but you can still move within the EU rules. And the second one, which I find as a, that's maybe very, very legalistic, but nevertheless, I find it important to say so, um, is overregulation also comes by the fact that different levels of regulators, of uh, civil servants, are allowed to interpret rules which have been set at a certain level. So, and I, I called it a certain um, disrespect for the hierarchy of norms. Maybe I explain myself. So hierarchy of norms means that you you have at the top a certain rule which is worth more than the rule below and again more than the rule below. So the constitution, the law, the the whatever, the, reg the Grand Ducal regulation and the CSF uh, circular, etc. So these are not all at the same level. And that we have see a tendency nowadays that this rule is not always well respected, particularly at European level. Um, and also having had discussions with politicians when they say, okay, we, we see this level one legislation, they say, okay, this looks like a good project and this looks like something we can sustain and we can, can approve. When they see then the thousands of pages coming out afterwards out of a 50-page text, this is not all what has, they had in mind when they drafted the text. And I think it's extremely important that this I would say the inflation of rules which are coming from civil servants, uh, basically at the end of the day, and not from legislators, is somewhat controlled. Because otherwise, I think you can legitimately think that the law says something and you, you have an interpretation which, which is not worse than somebody else's. But then somebody tells you, no, you have to read it in this way. And there's no judge who tells you A or B is right. So this is not going in front of a judge. Um, it's just they tell you this is the way you have to read it. And that is extremely difficult uh, in the European context. I think one of the main dangers for the European legislative process is uh, 
making things overcomplicated and giving extreme powers to 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 what I say called civil servants, which have not been elected, and basically they are bending the rules in the way they want to bend them. So that is the, the basic, basic principle. It doesn't yet only apply on, on, on the fund industry, but we see that happening, uh, Gilles, from time to time, and we are extremely unhappy when we see these kind of things happening. I find it extremely dangerous also for the overall kind of function of society, democracy, etc. This is not the way it should work. Okay, wise words. Uh, Jill, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I would say in a more general way, if we want the legal landscape to thrive, we need to be able to attract talent to it. And my, I think my wish would be that Luxembourg masters attracting that talent, but also keeping the talent here. And that goes much further than just the finance industry that goes to mobility, that goes to housing, that goes to having events that allow people that come from abroad to, to, to not to be alone, to meet peers. Uh, so that would be my wish that Luxembourg remains dynamic and able to to retain the talents that we we attract, but we sometimes have difficulty making them stay in Luxembourg. So uh, that would be my wish. Okay. Well, maybe this next question <laughs> will answer some of that as well. <clears throat> this is the final question that we ask all our all our guests. Sorry. Um, so as Alfie celebrates its thirty fifth anniversary this year, what would you like to be doing in thirty five years from now? Jill, maybe you could take this one first. Um, so I'll be around 70. So I hope uh, either to be retired or at least to be working on a reduced schedule. And um, to be honest, our plan, my husband and I, we love food. Uh, so our plan for retirement is to travel and go to all the Michelin star restaurants that we can find around the world. So... 35 years from now, I hope to have started executing that plan. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Will your daughter be coming with you? Uh, I hope she'll be independent by the time. <laughs> Gast, I'm sure you will want to be retired as well. Um, but maybe what would your vision be for the for the industry here? Yeah, I don't I don't want to calculate my age in 35 years. Um, maybe I think it's impossible to predict 35 years because I looked the other way around and I said, what happened in 1988? I, I, I admit I looked at the internet. I didn't. And I said, what was trending in 1988? It was saying floppy disks and CDs had overtaken uh, uh, old-style vinyl <laughs> recordings. And uh, George Bush's father was just elected as president, so which seems like uh, um, um, like the ancient times to many of us. So and it's very difficult to predict, basically, to what's going to happen in, 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 te in even 10 years' time. But I, I would say I think the selling experience and the buying experience will be very different. And, and hopefully there will be some human contact at the end, which, which remains... Great. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, Gast Juncker, Jill Lanners, thank you for taking part. Um, thank you, listeners, for listening and uh, tune in next time. <laughs>